Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Coming to you from, well, this part's coming to you from northern Michigan. I have made it back, but I'm about to leave. Headed out to Maine to hop on a boat and take that south to Florida. It's going to be a pretty interesting trip. Um, I think I'm going to do like a solo podcast uh, and a couple different parts on that one. But today's show, I got to sit down while I was out in Newport, Rhode Island with one of the North Sales crew, Eric Wakefield. Uh, he sort of came up in the world with Sven, the uh, brother of mine, friend of the show. And uh, yeah, it's, it was a great conversation. It was nice to sit and, and hear some of the ins and outs of some of the absolutely massive, massive boats that they work on out of uh, North Sales Newport. And yeah, Eric's a great guy. Really appreciate him spending a little time. And uh, yeah, before I get in the show, like I always say, if you want to help support the podcast, you could sign up via Patreon, become part of the 50-something member family that uh, is supporting this ad-free show. If you don't want to do that, you can also do the one-time donations uh, via PayPal and Venmo. Links are in the description for that. We still got the merch line out there, all the different shirts. It's a great way to support the show. And then if you just want to reach out to the program, questions, comments, things like that, you can uh, go to sailingintooblivion.com and check on uh, the podcast link and contact the show button, and you those will go directly to me. So without further ado... Here's my conversation with Eric Wakefield. Thanks for listening. But Eric Wakefield, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Thank you. I, it's nice to do this. I kind of we talked about it with your brother a bit for a while, and uh, it's nice to uh, kind of finally do this. Sven, Sven's uh, he loves the show. Anytime I I visit, he's like, "Dude, when are we doing our next podcast? How are my numbers doing?" He sees all about it. <laughs> But we're here at at North Sales in Newport. This is like uh, hollowed ground for me. It really is. It's uh, I don't know if it has to do just with the Sven connection, but I mean North is you know the biggest sailmaker in the world, and I don't know. It's this place is like it's like a church to a. It's kind of cool because it's working, right? Like there's a lot going on. There's still a lot going on here. There's been a ton of sailmaking going on here since. I think this place became a sail loft in 96. Oh, and it was originally okay. uh, Ted Hood's loft. Oh, it was. Yep. Ted Hood Sr. had an office here and they did hood sales. Then it was uh, shore sales for two years with uh, Kenny and Dan Neri. Right, Kenny right. And Dan Neri owned it. And then it became uh, North Sales. They sold that to North Sales. In 97, I think. So it was Kenny and Dan. Yeah, we're trying to get, Sven's trying to hook me up to get Dan on the podcast. That'd be cool. And yeah, he was kind of like, I don't know what I'd say. But I'm kind of like, these guys are like, they're huge when it comes to the sale. What the the impact that they've had. He really really developed uh, and honed the 3DI product. You know, um, it's our 3D molded sales. Yeah. I think. I could. I don't know if he, you, you know, he, you know, he'd be the creator. I think you know it was an evolution that came from, um, from the Americas Cup. Yeah. But once we sort of got our hands on it, 
Dan sort of put it together and made it a production and like how would you do it and repeat it and how would you make it a product that you could get out to the people and I think he'd be he'd be really interesting because it's like it's it's a major operation I mean it's one thing to sort of have everything lined up right in front of you and you're building it and you're in control but it's another thing to sort of how do you put all the parts together? Well, the how do you do like the manufacturing of it all? I, it was interesting. I was listening to uh, Elon Musk talk on on uh, Rogan's podcast yesterday when I'm driving up here, and he was emphasizing. He was like, "Listen, you know, it's one thing to come up with the idea of something like a Tesla, but it's the manufacturing that's a hard thing." He's like, 10,000 things have to go, all go right to be able to manufacture things, and if one goes wrong." You're still not manufacturing. So we talk about like raw goods a lot um, in sale making. We mm-hmm. talk about it all the time. Like, you know, you're talking about material. It's a very material based product. And what's 3DI made of? So 3DI is really, it's an interesting question because it's made up of whatever we can do it with. So it's more the process. So the process of 3DI is extruding uh, fibers into sort of their filaments mm-hmm. and extruding them and spreading them out and doing spread out tapes and laying those out over 3D molds. So that's kind of like, that's the 3DI process. Yeah. Now, the material that we're using... Oh, it can be anything then. It's It could be a lot of things. So like, you know, we have a Dacron. We, we've learned how to do it with uh, polyester, Dacron. Mm-hmm. And we're sort of marketing that to cruising customers who are familiar with the Dacron product, um, with the benefits and some of the drawbacks to Dacron. Yeah. Um, some of our higher end stuff is a blend of Dyneema and Aramid, which is, you know, Kevlar. Yeah. So we start to dial it in. If you look at our product line, we have, I just, I just, we just did a product line update recently. And I think, I want to say there's like, 40 different tiers. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you right. go through the whole thing, but uh, just looking at like sort of upwind 3DI product, you can go all the way from Dacron. And then as the performance starts getting added, you start adding lower stretch or lower, uh, higher modulus materials yeah. to, the, to the product. All the way up, you know, we were adding carbon at, you know, our highest tier. But when you talk about like performance cruising, typically there's no carbon in it. It's typically a, a balance of Dyneema and Aramid. What were like these these sales on Sparrow? You know, regardless of the sailmakers logo on there, because that yeah, was yeah. during a different time. But uh, Sven Sven was a big part of that project, and that was I mean, it's it's Dacron, I believe. Yeah, so but he, it was heavy, dude. Yeah, so these are this is like warp oriented Dacron. So this product is actually it is a tri radio layout, but um, the warp oriented Dacron basically when you weave Dacron, it sort of creates like a lump where one yarn goes over another, mm-hmm. and if you were to pull that tight, you have stretch. Right. So that's why Dacron has stretch because it's got big yarns going over and under each other and right, pull it right. tight, fills the void, and that's the stretch. Warp oriented Dacron like this basically has the warp yarns or the strength, the, the strong yarns, uh-huh. 
being laid out in a path and then they crimp the fill yarns. So the fill yarns go over and under it, but they're not actually stressed as they go over it. So it doesn't have the same kind of voids. Yeah. So you get under end up oh, having so lower lower stretch lower on stretch the warp. stuff. Oh, okay, okay. And that I don't know exactly like how many because they measure the weight of a sail in in ounces, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That stuff was super heavy duty. I was able to put because I still have those sails. Um, I think the main sail has like close to sixty or seventy thousand miles on it of tough sailing, but that staysail was on the deck. I think the entire trip around the world. It never got taken. I like there were a lot of times I had to lash it down and just had a storm jib above it and all that stuff. But it like stayed on the deck for all 30,000 miles. Pretty familiar with the process of your brother making you those. Yeah. <laughs> so like he really wanted, like he put he, a lot of love a into job. it. Yeah. He really took it seriously. <laughs> uh, he wanted to make you like the most durable. He really thought about safety. He wanted it to yeah. be like yeah. safe and durable and user friendly. And when we mean user friendly, you can beat the heck out of these things. And that's what we, you did. know, we wanted <laughs> pre- prepare for the worst, you know, but yeah, the weight. So with Dacron weight is definitely an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of the control when they're trying to make the material low stretch really has to do with the resin content that goes into the material. Yeah. Cause the resin is what keeps everything from moving around. Oh, okay. So when you talk about weight, that's one thing. Those yarns are heavy, right? But then when you talk about like stiff, that's resin. That's the resin hole. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I guess I. I mean, you know, this Dacron without without resin is it's a bed sheet. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> true. I didn't even think about it because yeah, I don't know. You always think of of Dacron sails as just like cloth, but yeah, there's actual resin in there as well. Yeah, it holds it all together. Holds it all together. So when we look at like when I talk to um, when I talk to a cruising customer who's interested in you know longevity, also budget. You know, this is it's probably the most I'd say inexpensive. There's yeah, nothing, yeah, nothing yeah. inexpensive in sailing, but uh, the most cost <laughs> yeah. you know cost efficient know material. Um, <laughs> And when I talk to them about Dacron, really, they're like, well, how long does it last for? I'm like, as long as you want it to. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you could keep servicing it. But as far as like its design sail shape and what it's supposed to look like, that has a pretty limited time frame because of the resin breaking down. Yeah, they sort of stretch out and they get a little blown out. You get like the big belly and the the mainsail and stuff like that and... So I deal with a lot of uh, like sort of larger boats and uh, you, I've been on 70 footers where we've put up Dacron sails and you can actually watch the shape travel af as you sheet it. <laughs> it just oh, really? You know, big <laughs> bubble moving and it's like, okay. Um, but for most like cruising boats and stuff like that, if, you're, if your plan is to, uh, you know, up and down the East Coast, maybe trip to the Caribbean, maybe even Atlanta Crossing or something like that. I mean, Dacron... If you're looking to buy a set of sails for the next 10 years, you'd go with Dacron. It depends. It really depends on the boat. I mean, I work with a bunch of people at different budgets, and sometimes it's about handling. It's about easy use on the boat. Sometimes that stuff can be pretty heavy. That, well, I was going to say, like trying to put a reef in the main on that, um, 
is still not so much anymore because now it's definitely kind of broken in a bit. Oh, that resin's definitely <laughs> let go a bit now. But initially, I mean, it was really tough and it was hard. It would scrape my knuckles up something fierce because it's just such heavy, hard material. But that's what I needed. You know, that was purpose built. So a lot of my customers are, um, you know, you get like a husband and wife that are recently retired. They're talking about their dreams of cruising and where they want to go and what mm -hmm. they want to do. Those sales can work, but won't necessarily be best for them. Um, you know, it can be a little more challenging. Yeah. Well, yeah so yeah. there's some other materials. We have another product that's also a tri-radial cut. It's a Norlam. It's a, a laminate material. It's a little lighter, a little more um, pliable. Um, oh, I've got some, like, one of my, one of the people that are part of, like, the, the Patreon crew, they're looking at sales. And I'll have to look it up before we finish, uh, or at least afterwards, so I can get back to her. But I think they, they were trying to, they gave her the option, I believe, of Norlam and then 3DI. Depends on the customer. And it like, depends, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, you know, obviously, we like 3DI. We, we stand behind it. It's, we're the only people that make it, you mm -hmm. know. Um, but it's not necessarily the right answer for everybody. Yeah. Um, I it's just, always going to depend. Yeah. I just did, uh, what did I do? Um, was it a do for like 45 something? I did Norlam sales and they are beautiful. Yeah. They came out awesome. The sale shape is great. The customer, it's easy for him to handle it. He went with a Dutchman system, which is, you know, it's a line system. Exactly. It's a line system. It's get a, a little sassy. Yeah. That, that. Sail handling. Uh, it, he had it before I got on the boat. He enjoys it. Yeah. You know, he's an older gentleman. Right. And it people worked. get used to their systems. Exactly. Sure. And it worked. It worked really well for him. It worked well with that system. Yeah. Um, he has nothing but good stuff to say about it. I feel like maybe. Is it tricky to make the uh, make sales knowing uh, that it's going to have that system? To make sure that all the holes are in the yeah. right place? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't even, I never thought, I mean, I've messed around with those on boats, uh, you know, in the past doing deliveries, and I, I never liked it. I just, I figure more stuff aloft is just never good. It's just tangle and waiting to happen and stuff. All right, but so I couldn't imagine. I'm ready for my first Fen story. Yeah, oh, I wanted to say, so normally, yeah, normally when I do this podcast, like, I don't even, if, if it's somebody that I haven't, you know, <coughs> excuse me, sat down and, and talked to for a long time, all that sort of stuff, I try not to do a whole lot of background digging or anything like that or even try and come up with topics because I like to have just a casual, you know, um, conversation. Yep. All that sort of stuff. And, uh, but I did, knowing that you and Sven have, because uh, did you guys start at North at the same time? So it's funny. I started here in October of 98. And I think he came in during the winter, maybe around after Christmas. Like it was like five months or six months later. And we're both about the same age. So it was really interesting, both of us sort of stepping into this uh, sale making. At the time, we didn't think of it as careers because yeah, 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 it was sort of like cool. Yeah, it was like oh, there's something neat to do, something different, and um, you know, we're not we're not building houses, we're doing something that sort of different and outside of the box. Um, yeah, little did we know we'd work together for twenty years. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it was a pretty interesting process of sort of learning 
not just learning sail making, but like sort of learning to be adults at the same time. Yeah, because you guys would have, Sven would have been, he would have been what, like 24? No. Something like that. No, he was 20, 22. He was 23, and I was 22. Did you live in Bristol as well? I grew up in New York and transplanted from New York. Oh, okay, and okay. He transplanted, you know, obviously. He came, came down from, from Michigan. So we were both sort of new here. We're not, you know, we're not originally from Rhode Island. So it was right, kind of right. like, okay, we're here. We don't even know where to eat. So we figure out some stuff and figure out what, you know, where we'd hang out. And we had a bar called Aiden's in Newport. And oh, yeah. we spent many, <laughs> many Friday afternoons there and Saturday afternoons. Um, but yeah, that was sort of where we sort of bonded, I guess. Well, my my challenge was, or the you know the only request I had was that if you had any uh, any good Sven stories. So I'm shout gonna, out to Sven, yeah, by the way. Exactly, I'm going to jump around a bit because we do have a lot of history together. So. Yeah, we don't, and we don't want to like throw him under the bus. No, even no, though exactly. When, when you do that with Sven, <laughs> he just automatically rolls out from underneath the other side somehow. I've got a lot of stuff, but I think this is a pretty good <laughs> one. I think, uh, you know, he, after, I think we were, he did production here. We did production here until 2007 mm-hmm. and he was working in production. I was working in service and, uh, he ended up moving to this program we had called Cruising Direct. Yeah, yeah Which yeah. was basically that. you measure the sales and they'll build them. It was utilizing our manufacturing capability and trying to cut down on cost with sort of the customer service. Like still ultimately it's a North Sale. It has designed by North Sales and materials from North Sales, but it didn't need as much um, handholding from a salesman. We ordered, uh, there was a water sports center that I was working for, and we ordered a bunch of Ensign sales and uh, and stuff. through. Yeah, that's Grant. exactly yeah. what they were looking we for. We still have some of them. And they were good sales. Yeah, but, yeah You know, yeah. they were just sort of just trying out our uh, manufacturing in Sri Lanka at the time. So some of them, you know, they were working it out. It was, yeah, they yeah, were yeah. working it out. And I think, uh, but Sven got hooked up with them. And was sort of went over to this process of uh, making these, uh, you know, these cruising direct sales. And I remember his first Dutchman. And <laughs> he went and he measured, you know, the customer agreed to pay to have him measure the old sale. And because the customer didn't want to deal with the Dutchman either. And um, so he measures it all out, you know, and obviously it takes about six to eight weeks to, you know, to get a sale. Yeah. And the sale shows up, and he pulls it out on the floor. Excuse me. He pulls it out on the floor, and the Dutchman is just completely... It, so one of the big things that you have to deal with is spreader location. So when you're dealing with a Dutchman, because right. you have these lines, you don't want to hang up... So they call them dead oh, zones. Oh, yeah, dead you zones. want to hook them right on the... Right, right, right. So he went and put it all together but ended up putting these things in the dead zone. And uh, when you look at the uh, sort of the process of installing a Dutchman, they give you a layout, they show you where every little hole goes, where the pockets go. I don't know if he, you know, whatever happened there. But he decided this was a, you know, this was a pretty inexpensive sale. He wanted like an easy way to fix it. So he just folded it a bunch of times, stacked the, the luff cars up as, they, as if they were gonna sit on the mast. Mm-hmm. And oh. just bang some alls in it, 
and then all the whole way through. <laughs> yeah, all the way through, and then <laughs> and uh, I don't think that worked out for him. I know that's a possible way to do it in your head. Yeah, yeah. Like, but the actual where he put those holes didn't. And I remember this one mainsail, and it was like for like a little twenty-eight foot boat. It was on the floor for about two weeks, a week and a half. And we're like, I was like, so you're just going to replace that, right? <laughs> start over again. <laughs> I get but, it. but it was like, you know, it was, um, it was ego involved because it was like, we could fix this because I'm a sailmaker. Yeah. To like, I don't know if you can actually sell this as a product to a human being <laughs> as, I get it. as new, you know? And, uh, but I just remember all of us watching him trying to it kept dig it was like a hole yeah. and then it was getting deeper <laughs> and deeper and to the point it was Swiss cheese and um yeah. Oh I'm sure the frustration he probably was just fuming <laughs> man. Like, no, I think I got it. he'd probably yeah. come in, you know, in the morning, like, I think I got it. I got my game. I'm going. sure he punched himself out and worked in the evening and oh, yeah, 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 that's his like, right. Walking around that that room in his uh, Bristol apartment. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, Dude, how am I gonna do it? Drinking a Canadian. I mean, like, yeah, I got I got the plan and then run right back over. I remember giggling because I thought it was funny, but I also was impressed that he just kept going. He kept going. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So Well, you know, he he's he's uh he, he likes to, if he's going to take on a challenge, like really take it on, um, he'll, he'll just keep punching his way through. He won't, he won't give up. He's like a freaking, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So at fa you know, <laughs> fast forward from that point to. He's 10, like a badger. Yeah, he is a yeah, badger. That's 10, the word 15 I was years for. later. And we hooked up with, um, we ended up doing service for. The bucket in St. Bart's. Oh yeah, yeah. And we got signed up. I set it up and sort of ran it for a couple of three or four years. Mm -hmm. Um and Sven was my go-to guy because I needed we were a small team. It was basically two sailmakers flew in, and then there were two locals that we've worked with sort of on logistics and organizing materials. And these are all boats over a hundred feet. Yeah, that's all the minimal. Yeah, like everything. minimal 100 feet to like sort of enter. Uh, most of the boats were in like the 130 to 160 foot range. And, you know, and I needed to work with somebody who was just like, you know, dig in. Give me another up. Red Bull. Yeah, let's 24 do it. hours. Let's, let's do, do this. Well, there was there was one year where because they those boats would come to. They started coming to YCCS there in the British Virgin Islands, and then they'd go do the bucket. And that was when I was working at Bitter End. And there was one year where Sven arrived right after. And I don't know if it was a time where you were down there. It might have been. but he, I pretty much invited him every time. He was like, he was my guy. Like, so he was, he's really easy to travel with to be honest with. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I've traveled with a lot of people before and spent, you know, weeks together in some foreign country and figuring it out. He was easy to travel with. Uh, he mostly listens to podcasts or reads his books, and, you yep. know, and then he kind of lightens up in the evening and has a bunch of stuff to say, and then he passes out, and he's got his, you know, so it's like it was pretty easy to deal with. It wasn't a lot of, like, you know, trying to figure out where we were going to eat 
like we were pretty self-sufficient. It's like, yeah, we just need a bar. <laughs> yeah. Where's the nearest bar? <laughs> Technically, we don't need food. I think we, <laughs> that was part of the thing. I think our first trip together, I had like tried to like figure out dinner plans and like getting groceries. And then after I realized that he'll just pick. It's just, yeah, yeah he'll he, just he pick stuff and he doesn't easy. need dinner. He's got his priorities. Yeah, and he just like, well, he'll eat, but like in his own, his own way and like made it easy for me. And it was like kind of made it easy on timing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But set, setting up for those, because I, I know he, he talked about, he told me a lot of war stories about Key West oh, yeah. when it was super windy, uh, going down to Antigua, um, and then, yeah, the bucket. But, I mean, setting up for those specific, it's almost like going to war, especially if, Very the, much so. if the weather's really rough. Because wasn't there so. one one year either, it was either when the boats were in the BVI, or if it was when they were down in St. Bart's, but it was really windy and a lot of stuff got shredded. I think the one of our our most intense events was for sure they had the that they had a regatta. They used to have a regatta like a week before. I think that was the BVI regatta. Yeah, the YCCS and, one. Yeah. yeah, and they had a bunch of stuff that got shredded, so the boats really didn't have any direction they were going. Their next location was St. Bart's. So when we arrive, typically arrive a couple of days early to set up and sort of because you yeah, you guys were like using are you setting up tents to be yeah able literally to do it's stuff tents in? and a you know it's a plywood floor and we need to get the materials out get the inverters on the sewing machines like yeah 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 there is there's like you're building a sail loft outside um, but I started getting emails about boats heading our way with blown up kites and yeah, you know yeah, broken yeah. jibs and. All of a sudden, I'm like, uh-oh. What is supposed to be the setup time turned into, I mean, we had one 22-hour day, our first day. Like, basically, it just, like, dug in. And then, so the um, the bucket's a week-long regatta. So we had full three days on the front end. And then, you know, it can get pretty windy down there. We had a very full regatta. And, uh, yeah, at the end, there were there were times you get dehydrated. I know you spent a lot of yeah, spent time yeah, down yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. You don't drink enough water. It's and hot and it's it, windy. Yeah, it just sucks the moisture right out. You of know, you. your joints start to like clamp up, and you know, it gets hard to move your ankles, and just like you got to stay hydrated. And I remember us like, you know, sort of like bow legged walking upstairs <laughs> at like four o'clock in the morning, going, yeah, like, "What yeah. are we doing here?" <laughs> like, but it was nice to have like a partner in the, you know, just somebody else going through it with you. Um, well, and with that mindset, like yeah. he, he literally, I think in a lot of ways, even with the stuff that he does now, uh, where he'll go out and be out there at sky for yeah. 28 days in a row, don't stop working. And, uh, he wears that as like a little badge of he courage does. and he'll, he'll let you know, yeah. he'll be like, did you see this badge? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you looking at it. How many but days? It, was, it was nice to have Which somebody who was like-minded. Yeah. You know, we yeah, were yeah. both goal oriented. Um, we took a lot of pride. We take a lot of pride in our work. Yeah. And we wanted to see everything finished to the end. Um, you know, I don't know. I'll say this cause I tell a lot of people this, but typically I work for boats and not really people. I try to make the best boat I can. Um, mm. it's easier for me to work for it and look at it as the boat as the project rather than the person I, I'm, I love a lot of my customers. I think they're awesome. But yeah. I really look at the boat and go, how do we keep the boat going? 
especially in those like those big boats with a big crew and you don't necessarily know who even the owner is it's like you're working to keep the boat going yeah so you know Sven and I took this sort of mindset how many boats could we get to sail the next day and we wanted to try to get them all that was our goal what you know and we didn't want to leave one on the dock yeah yeah, yeah. you know so we'd work until we made it through the other side and I think there was one or two times out of the years I've done that event that we actually couldn't finish them all. And we do, we call those, uh, those overnight repairs. And I've done overnight repairs for 25 years now. Yeah. Technically they're not overnight repairs. Like the concept is that the repair will be fixed and you will have it the next day. I typically don't work yeah, through the night. It's still going to come. It's got to come. Yeah, yeah right. through the night. And, you know, in, in projects like that, where you have those really big projects, um, in even in the facility we have here, some of those projects take days, if not weeks, to complete. So the concept of having seven or ten of them lined up with you in one night and going, okay, how do I get them all going for tomorrow? Yeah. There was a lot of, like, Imagineering Oh, I'm sure you gotta you gotta figure that one out because I mean, and you're really just trying to make sure that it's gonna work for that next day. It's so like, well, that was a lot of what like I brought to the table. That was sort of my skill set. Um, the MacGyver. Of the I was the guy world. who would figure out what material we had, exactly what material we brought, and uh, what we could use that was strong enough to keep the sail together. Yeah, and then you know I'd then stick it all together, get my panels in the where the where I wanted to. And I'd sort of slide it over to Sven and he'd run he would run the sewing machine. And then I'd get the next one together and sort of put it the way I want it. And then slide it over for Sven to stitch. And then when Sven was done stitching, I'd do the finishing details. Mm-hmm. And then we both put them back in the bags or sometimes call the crew at whatever yeah, time. Right. I mean, like, just looking at the bags on, you got out there. <laughs> it's like waste 1,200 pounds. We're gonna, <laughs> it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I think we're going to need help. <laughs> what's what's the biggest uh, biggest main, what's the biggest luff tape you've ever had to do? So we actually just this year, and, you know, there's a lot of big boats in Europe yeah. that don't necessarily come here all the time, but we just had a, a boat called Aquijo. And that we worked together this spring and that boat, as far as sheer size, broke the mold on what we have set up for operations here. Really? So we're basically between our vehicles and lifts and manpower. I realized, you know, we're probably like a one ton operation. So if a sail weighs, you know, around 2000 pounds, we're good. (laughs) We can do it. We're, we're set up for it. Yeah. We've got the machinery. We've got the people. Um, Aquijo showed up. It's a, it's a catch. It's got, you know, two masts. They're very close in size. Mm-hmm. The mainsails weighed 4,000 pounds a piece. Wow. It broke. Because so 4,000 pounds, when you're dealing with that 8,000 pound payload, just getting them off the boat is complicated yeah um we ended up running a 180 foot barge with a crane on it and pulling them out you're not hooking a halyard up to it no no (laughs) no you've got to remove the sails from the boat yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you can't 
you can't just pull it off the boat and hook a halyard and sort of drag it out yeah. the center of effort. Come on, boys. Yeah, let's it do it. Pretty aggressive <laughs> really quickly. Um, but yeah, so we rented a barge with a crane and it took a day to get them off. And then it took about a half a day to get the battens out. And then once we got the battens out, they're in a, in a parking lot. Um, then to roll them, it took 20 people to flake the sail. Louise. Hey, um, to roll them and sort of brick them to, so we could transport them. Uh-huh. We needed a two-ton forklift. And basically, every roll, we'd lift the forklift, drive forward three feet, put the forklift down. Re- oh, to like to, to roll the whole yeah, thing once and then out. Yeah. set our straps back up and do it all again, over and over again, until you created one big roll. Oh, yeah. Um, just yeah. logistically. Log- logistically, yeah. it was incredibly That's challenging. I think for me, I looked at it and I said, you know, I do. I, I'm a problem solver. I like doing things and seeing what we can pull off. Yeah. Um, but I really think 4,000 pounds was max. It <laughs> did not work. Jeez. You know, we're, we're our, you know, this uh, facility is second story. Just even trying to figure out how to get into this building took me a day and eventually hit walls every way. So right, I ended right. up, um, we rented space in the shipyard down in Newport uh-huh. and uh, we went into a boat shed and unbricked them in the boat shed and did what we needed, brought sewing machines down there. Kind of like the bucket, kind of similar, you know, set up uh, okay, to yeah, like yeah, triage, makeshift, yeah, makeshift yeah. Uh, sail loft. It was a little challenging. The guys next to us were uh, sanding gel coat uh, <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> some navy blue jokers. Really, wow. we had a, had some discussions with them on timing, realizing that they had a job to do as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so we worked as quickly as we could, and you know, and kept the sails clean and did what we needed to. But uh, yeah, I think going forward, I think if I have a boat that big, I'm going to need a better plan. <laughs> well, can you? So, so that's here in Newport is yeah. the. The loft down in in Milford, bigger? Not really. I you know I started looking up and down the East Coast on how to problem solve this, and I kept opening up the search parameters on what what I needed, and sort of not even knowing what I needed until I actually dug into it. Yeah, yeah. And I think at this point now, we're, we're if you know another boat like that shows back up, we're gonna have to have a lot more planning on the front end. Yeah, geez, Louise. Yeah, I mean, you get Mirabella 5 pulling in. I don't know how big the stick is on that, but it's one of the biggest in the world, isn't it? Yeah, we had the jib in here fine. Oh, really? Yeah, the M5 came up fine here. Yeah. This was next level. Jeez, <laughs> like, this, this is big boating. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, if you, I have some photos of guys, you know, climbing around on the boom and they look like ants. Yeah. It's all, you, you know, you look at those, I, you look at pictures of the real, like the super maxi yachts and you know, it's some aerial shot or whatever. And it's like, well, that's a big boat, but it's when you zero in on a human being <laughs> on it and you're like, Oh, and it's like standing next to the furling unit and the furling unit is the size yeah, of the truck. I mean, yeah, exactly. The headboard is, you know, it's six feet tall and mm-hmm. it just the perspective the scale you know the scale is is pretty wild but i think like i said i think that is where that's going i thought uh bezos got the 400 footer now yeah 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 and you what know. that's three masted isn't it so that's a three mast i think they have so there's another boat called nagoni 
which is a sloop. So they're all in this sort of like, what are they, 260-foot rigs, 270-foot rigs? That Jeez. I wouldn't say that they, they're reaching, like, what you can build. I'm not, I'm not familiar with, you know, mass making enough right, to right. say, like, that's I, yeah, probably what the big, limit is. But I know those three boats all have rigs sort of in that similar realm, mm-hmm. and those are all the – that was the – Nagoni was the biggest loop I've ever worked with, and then um, – you know, and then catch, and then now a schooner. So it's big gear, man. <laughs> and it is pretty amazing. I mean, that you know, in the end, when the boat's actually sailing, yeah, there is a time where they just hook a halyard to that main, and they hoist that sucker up. There's got to be so much load on those lines. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I look, some pictures of Aquijo out really look like they were sailing. You know, some of the bigger boats don't. I've never found one yeah. of Mirabelle 5 actually sailing. And there's yeah. one little promo video where it's got a reef in the main on a super light day. And they're moving, obviously, but they're not like, I don't, you know, they're not really sailing that boat. Yeah, some of these they can wick up and it's pretty, it's pretty wild. And it's like, so from my standpoint, you know, I don't know, I don't think of myself as like a sailor. I think of myself as a, you know, I'm a sailmaker, I'm mm-hmm. a builder. Yeah. So I look at stuff you know, sort of for the materials and I look at the function and form and all that. And I'm like, okay, you're now pushing what I understand and like how I work with stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, so if, if they're going to do, do you guys do a lot of like new build, like here's this new boat and we're going to build the sales for it. So we got to figure this out. Yeah. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. And, um, I am around some, you know, new installs, you know, for new boats and sort of them figuring that out. Um, our design staff takes most of that on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sort of like the boots on the ground in a lot of the super yacht stuff here, at least in North America here. Yeah, yeah. Are you out doing all the measurements and stuff like that? Or you measurements, yeah, yeah, yeah. Measurements we do. Um, that's not- That was hard for me um, when they sent me all the forms to fill out to do just the main and the staysail on Sparrow, I was just like, holy cow, it's a, it's how many lot. pages is this? Thing? It's a lot. It's, and, you know, and it's funny because it's like you look at the questions, you're like, and you're looking through your uh, your measurement form and it's like, oh, it makes sense. Okay, that kind of makes sense. I'll need to figure that out. But then it's blowing 18 and your little pages are blowing <laughs> Yeah, and, then, and you're and trying to stretch your, your tape. Your tape measures wobbling all over. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. And, you know, and then a lot of this stuff, you're, like, barely, you're, like, etching the numbers into the paper, and it kind of goes out the window a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually going down to do a new sail install on a boat called Zenji, mm. which is a 180-footer in Antigua the end of the month. Oh, nice. So I'll be there to sort of make sure everything is fit and that the battens are all doing what they need to. Yeah, yeah. The la- the lashings are correct and the sail is operating as you know as it should. So you'll end up going out sailing with them. Yeah, I'll do the sail put it with up them. and and that way if they have questions or whatever. Because I think Sven did that a lot too, or at least like when there were issues, he would fly. Because didn't he start flying everywhere for a little while? Yeah, and it's kind of what we you know it's sort of at a certain point. We need to get to the boats. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? And uh, yeah, so I'm still kind of doing that. Do you um, enjoy that? 
Where you get to yeah, travel. It's all right. I, yeah. I've done it for a while. I, I'm enjoying, I'm sort of, my new role in uh, selling sales is new to me. I was a service manager for 17 years. I was in service for 24 years, 23 years, um, and recently went over to, you know, selling. It's kind of, I'm kind of into it because it's new and it's different. And yeah, there's a yeah. lot of information that, although being in the industry for a very long time, a lot of it wasn't the same and a lot of it's not the same process. So I'm kind of getting excited about the selling process. Well, that's, that's one of the things I've always liked about the whole yachting industry. I mean, the whole blanket of it is that there are so many different facets that you can go down. I mean, you can, you can start out being a sailor and then find that you like doing and actually running regattas and then you become like an official or you might like you you know take on the the technical aspects of sail making or selling the sails or actually fixing them and i it's, yeah everybody's it's so got a cool. different thing and yeah. i and i feel like it's funny for me the i've worked around the sales process forever and it's interesting until you're in it really understanding what the process is and uh there's a lot of you know a lot of people are like oh well you just sell an expensive thing and it just costs a lot and then you get paid and that's very confusing <laughs> there are lots of measurements you're responsible for a lot i yeah, mean there's a yeah, lot yeah. that needs to go into it there's a lot of logistics where the boat is and when the boat's going to be there um well and it's not like the owners are coming in and into the loft when you're halfway through a sale, a new build and, and looking around like, you know, when somebody's building a house, the owners typically come in and they're like, Oh, you know, well, we like that. We like that. Yeah. I mean, you're delivering a finished product, you're delivering a finished product. And then the other thing too, is like sort of understanding the, uh, what the delivery really looks like. So that's like, you know, that's a pretty broad word. Like, are you technically putting it in a car and putting it on somebody's boat? Yeah. Yeah. Are you installing it? Are you fitting it? Are you finishing it? Are, uh, you know, there's a, not all of the parts come finished. You know, you have battens to deal with, um, adjusting lines, and then what the expectations are. And then what the owner can provide as support, or do they expect you to do everything? It's sort of, it's sort of interesting. Um, and it's been sliding all over the place. Um, I've done one, I've done installs where it's basically me by myself to doing like an install like on Zenji, which I'm hoping there'll be seven to yeah. eight other people <laughs> right, there. Right. <laughs> All right, team. Yeah. You go. know, we become a team leader. Um, yeah, exactly. So there, it changes a little bit as it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you like the, um, when you, when you get into more of like the racing stuff? I like, or you just like all of it. I like all of it. I like the technology and I like sail making. So I get stoked on the racing stuff. I like, I respect the people and what they do. And, uh, cause that is kind of more of a dynamic of, we want performance over longevity. Yeah. And I I like that, you know, some of the, you know, in the past, I mean, it's sort of evolved over the last decade, but you know, a lot of the stuff with the borderline limitless budgets are pretty cool because it's just like, lets me do whatever. Yeah. yeah whatever yeah. I think is appropriate, whatever works. Um, you know, there's always a budget, but some of those race programs have a higher budget and 
would let me really go free and as long as it was right it was done yeah yeah um that was kind of cool so i i enjoyed that and like i said it's sort of it's changing so now i have those experiences and i'm taking that experiences to new sales and taking it when i when i'm specking sales and i'm talking to customers and i'm trying to figure out the right sale for them yeah it's taking all of that stuff into account so like i'm definitely a product-minded salesman you know, who really wants well. to get that boat? Yeah, again, yeah, you're, you're thinking about the boat and yeah, they what tell they me, want to do with it. Yeah, they tell me how, what they want and how they they tell me how they use the boat, and then I'll give them the best recommendations that I can. I think that's that's the kind of salesman I would like to have. Somebody who's more concerned about the boat than who's concerned with me putting a smile on my face. I guess if that makes sense. Well, ultimately, they should be happy at the end if we did it. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. No, for sure. You might not see that smile straight away. Exactly. It might be 10 years down the line where you're like, yeah, you know, actually, I haven't had to take this yeah, to a loft. These things are great. And it's worked out really well. And I'm hoping, you know, that when I do it right, that's what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it's, I mean, it's one of those things I, I'm definitely, I, I have, uh, I've, I have my own little sewing machine. I got one of those little sail rights on the boat. Because obviously when I go out, I'm out there for a long time and I have to be pretty self-sufficient. And I, you know, besides that set of sales that I have that, that Sven had, had produced and stuff, um, I had the original sales, 20 years old. And a lot of times it's just the seams are blowing out left, right, and center. And there are a lot of times where middle of the night I've got, you know, I'm putting a reef in and all of a sudden it just lets go. I feel a book trade coming on. Uh, I've got uh, Dan Neri's book here. Oh, I've, I've got, yeah, I was I've say, got like, a copy I was of it. Because if, if I would have been able to sit down with him too, I was going to have him uh, sign off on that one. Because that, you know, obviously you, you can gather information different now you than you, when, when that was written. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it dates itself a little bit, but it's all there and it's all like real I can get I can get great info just from looking at some of the pictures. It gives yeah. me a good idea where I'm like, oh, oh, that's a great way to reinforce that. Because I mean... Sven, Sven showed me, he showed me a couple of things. I bought that machine for working down a bitter end. Yep. I was like, okay, this is a trial thing. Cause it was a nightmare down there. We used to have to take our, you know, we had like a hundred sailboats or something total. I don't know how many Hobie cats lasers, but we'd have to bundle up something that, that ripped, take it down to Tortola. I think it was the Doyle loft down there and they were good people, but you know, just the ferry transfer, somebody taking it down taxi You'd wait weeks and then it'd come back. And so I was like, well, let's buy one of these machines. It's like a thousand bucks. And I'm pretty sure we'll be able to figure it out, which for that type of stuff. That, um, book, that book has had a time one and with pictures. In yeah. It. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of it was me tearing apart old Hobie sales, looking at them and seeing how it was. But I do remember, I remember Sven coming down. I think, I think my parents or something were chartering down there. They all came down and I'm working. And he, I was like, come on, can you just show me a couple of things on this? And he, I don't know if he just wasn't in the mood for it, but he kind of sits down and he's like whipping through this thing real fast. <laughs> he's like, you know, why is this like this? But he ended up stabbing himself with the shears. That sounds right. And uh, I remember being like, that's what you get, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but he showed me, he showed me quite a bit and, and through trial and error, um, God almighty, we never sent another sale for the next like 10 years down to a sail loft. And we just were constantly replacing windows and patching, you know, the 
the batten pocket and protectors, all that sort of stuff. And I was able to take that onto Sparrow and pretty much I can fix almost anything, at least temporarily. But most times, um, you know, for the long haul out there at sea. I had a cool experience this week where um, I had a woman come in who works with uh, Mystic Seaport. Mm -hmm. And she is the waterfront director. And she was sort of, she has access to this sail loft that's their sail loft for Mystic. And she came in up to do sort of do a, she wanted to learn more about sail making. She was talking about an apprenticeship and some other stuff. Ah. And it was really, it was cool for me because it was somebody who was excited and sort of taking, wanted to take some of the information I had and take that to a place where other people are going to learn. And got me super excited and was able to show her a bunch of stuff. She hung out for a few hours and, hope you know, but... That book, I she I said, I have a book for you. You need to take this with you and yeah. read this. And she left without it. And I emailed her right after she left. I was like, you left without the book. This is the most <laughs> important part. This <laughs> is the most important book right now. What's the title of that one? Sail Care and Repair. By Dan Neri. Yeah. Yeah. Is it and, Near I or Neri? Near I. Near I. That's and he uh, he did a pretty good job. I mean, there's a lot in there. And I'm actually, I'm sending it down to her. I think it went out yesterday, so hopefully, uh, Elizabeth, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah, you get go. your book shortly. <laughs> well, that's, that's always, uh, I think that's also a really cool aspect of the industry is that apprenticeship, like the sharing of knowledge um, is real prevalent, you know. And it, I, I mean, obviously, it dates back to the early days. You get the captain, you get the mate. Everybody's sort of trying to work their way up the ladder, but they're doing it from sharing experience, a lifetime that the captain is making all this experience is now getting downloaded into that mate and then down the chain. But it's still, it's that same way in a, a sail off. Cause I mean, do you guys have, we don't much noobs do it to come anymore. in here. And uh, I personally did a five year apprenticeship oh, uh, okay, when I okay. first started Yeah, uh, for a sail maker named Dolph Gabler. Oh, I've heard about Dolph and it was a yeah. lot. And uh, he gave me a ton of information it had a cost. <laughs> <laughs> I, I joke. I still talk to him, you know, and uh, I joke that, yeah, the cost was like my youth. Yeah, yeah, right. Youth. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a few stories about, about Dolph. Oh, it just, it was one of those things Sven always said, you know, he wasn't he, definitely not afraid to tell you what he thought. Yeah, that's a kind about of your that, work. Yeah, there's a, there was a lot of. And you need that though. You can't be babied and coddled like, oh, you know, that, uh, I guess appropriate. That. But he, I think he coined, coined the word that looks like spilt fuck. I was going to say spilt that. fuck yeah, yeah. was really. <laughs> I had never heard that term until working with him, <laughs> and uh, it's unique to him. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, really described what he thought of my work. Uh, but yeah, it was. I I like the internship. Um, you're not going to get better in the apprenticeship without that sort of. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I, I've seen that where where, especially these days, um, not to not to harp on, you know, the younger generation as an older person now. But like there's a lot of like hand holding and like encouragement when there really needs to be a little bit of. Uh, I don't know if the apprenticeships or at least in sail making or in the, you know, the sailing industry. I don't know. It's a complicated, it's a complicated conversation. I don't, you know, I don't know if it's for today, but I sort of feel that 
the industry needs to make room for that. It needs to make room for training people. Mm -hmm. And we may not be set up to do that at this point right now. And I don't not not just this my company that I work with. Right. But right. I think across overall, the board, across yeah. the board. That, you know, they need to make room for training and it takes time. And, you know, I've heard in the past, because I do train a lot of people, I probably trained two hundred people over my career. Um and, Wow. Gee, yeah. That's a lot, man. And a lot of people don't stick around and do it. A lot of people do different stuff. A lot of people are sort of like you, just trying to get the fundamentals of it and mm -hmm. then sort of go on to what they want to do. Um, you know, and I've asked a lot of people ask me, like, you know, can I get a sailmaker up and running in six months? No. Oof, no. Yeah. The answer is no. Well, maybe what? To do like basic repairs or something, but not a sailmaker. Not a full understand. You need somebody to who can actually make a sail from scratch. And I think it's just understanding the process and it takes a lot of time and you want it. There's a lot of facets to it. And I think, you know, making the time to train somebody is important. Are there any sailmaking schools? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I know um, they did in New Zealand have apprenticeships, but I don't know if that's still going. I'd be talking out of school. I'm not familiar with any active uh, sailmaking apprenticeships or schools. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, obviously there's sailing schools up the wazoo everywhere. So I don't want to talk about any particular ones, but I've talked to a few schools about offering some sailmaking classes. Uh -huh. um, one of the things that they, they really prioritize, a lot of the sail, uh, sailing schools, job placement. And it's hard to figure out how many people who would attend that right, you know, right, right, right. job placement. Yeah, because, I mean, well, I, I guess because we're no longer using a palm and a needle and you actually need these pretty expensive. I mean, what does one of these sewing machines run? And these are pretty big. The yeah, ones are like sitting in the floor. 40000 Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, that throws a little kink in things, I suppose. It's not just a pair of scissors and some tape. Yeah, there's a lot to it. Um, a lot can be done without it. Um, I go back to Sven and I... On a piece of sh plywood outside, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Being near the water with the, a few materials, and we keep things going. So, with the proper education and the proper understanding of the materials, you can do a lot with very little. Yeah, but I mean, to your point, it really is. I mean, an apprenticeship sort of system is really the only way to go about. Yeah, it's hard to do. I think it would be hard to have like online classes or something where you're learning. It's really hands on, and it, it yeah. there's a lot. You know, there's a there's a book called um, "The Art and Science of Sailmaking." I think that's I think I'm saying it correctly. Um, Tom Whedon's book, and it talks a lot about the science aspect versus which was Lowell North was very he was very much the science. He would try to create a really nice sail and repeat mm -hmm. it, and then there was Ted Hood who was the art and he would sort of make his sale and then he would recut it and recut it to make it perfect. Yeah. And I think there's different ways to get there. And I think that just saying that kind of shows how the apprenticeships would work. And there's a bunch of ways to get to the end same result and everybody learns differently. And I feel like, you know, the hands-on is really the best way to get that information out. Oh, I would think so. Yeah, well, for sure. I mean, I, I can remember probably the biggest project that I ever did was my uh, Dodger. 
So you order sort of a kit, but you've got to do all the measuring and all that stuff. You got to cut the stainless first and then make like a template. And they have videos that you could watch. And uh, it was a, I think it was a 22 hour, 24 hour project. And I knew that if I stopped at any point, I was never going to be able to pick it back up. So I just drank a bunch of Red Bull. I, I went Sven on it. And I just start to finish. And it it's, I mean, until this last trip, it uh, it survived really well, <laughs> believe it or not. The last trip totally roasted it. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, there's something so cool about when you create something like that. Well, even though it's not perfect and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look as good as it would if it was professional. But at the time, it was sort of a money thing for me. But um, it's yours. But it's mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when I'd sit down there and a wave would splash and I'm cuddled underneath it, I'm kind of like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I feel a lot of that ownership when, I'm, oh God, uh, when, you look when I step up for the first time. And, you know, you talk about these, you know, you're going to put this thing on for the first time and you look up and you're like, oh, everything just worked. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, I know, together. right? There's that, that little bit of concern in the back of your head, you know, right? It's funny, as, sale, as a sailmaker or at least in the position I'm in, I get opportunities to do a lot of sale trials and looking at sales. And I'm halfway weary most of the time because I know that there's always work that comes from that. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like my job is to look and make sure it's all right. And then it's not. And then, <laughs> you know, like, and then, you know, there's always, you know, I was just talking to a young guy yesterday. I was like, I pretty much never step off a boat without a work list. Oh, I'll bet. I'll bet. So yeah, there's yeah. always something you can do just a little bit different to make that a little bit easier or a little bit better. Um, Perfectionist. I just think it's like, well, it's just, you keep the conversation going. It's yeah, a, you yeah, know, yeah. the boat is a living, breathing thing, really. Like it's just always changing and you're always trying to make it a little bit better and, um, and always having a conversation about what we could do differently. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that is the same way in, I think every facet of anything to do with a boat, a boat can always be a little bit better yeah. and a boat always needs work because it's in such a rough environment. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I, what, what, what's the worst, the most detrimental thing to a sail? I think Sven used to always say it was the UV. UV. UV, 100%. 100 yeah. 100%. If it's not covered. It, inc incredibly, you know, UV is over operator error. <laughs> like, I've, seen, I've seen more really? damage. Yeah, I've yeah. seen more damage come from UV than uh, by people just, just being silly. Just it Being out. silly. Yeah, I got to go right, with being right. silly, but yeah. Because those sales are tough, but yeah, the UV is eating it alive. And I mean, obviously, there's nothing you can do when you're out there sailing, but like when you, Sven had said, he was like, you know, when you get your boat on the dock, not a scrap of that sale should be uncovered ever no and we talked about that sort of in the beginning of this conversation was easy use so yeah you know yeah, yeah. making the sales easy to stow is gonna have there's a cost to that for sure yeah and that's a dutchman right there <laughs> <No>. <laughs> i don't even have lazy jacks or anything on my boat man because i you know people ask me about that because most people do like stack pack obviously these days. Lazy jacks are pretty sweet. Why don't you have lazy jacks? Because <laughs> I put I'm a, I'm an ocean sailor. Like that sail goes just, up. Yeah, so it's just it's just in the way. The only time the only time that sail comes down out there is when I get becalmed and I just literally drop it and it's laying on the deck. Um, 
just kind of hangs out there. Because as soon as the wind picks back up, I'm just going to put it back up. I mean, that West Sail, it's not a motor. You know, it's got the auxiliary thing, but it's that's just for getting into the marina. Like, I, I absolutely will never motor unless I have to. So that's I'll, a, I'll get becalmed and I'll just sit out there for – but I won't slat the mainsail because that – Especially that mainsail would rip the old track right off that main yeah. or right off the mast. You know, I, I would always have, I, I remember seeing like, I see rivet heads, you know, it's one of those old stainless steel yep. tracks. It's got a rivet every like two inches. And I'd see rivet heads on that trip right in the beginning. The first time I went through the doldrums and I was like, Oh man, I got to take this down. <laughs> and so now the boats, really like pendulum swinging yeah. but you know you can get used to that you're not damaging anything but man that mainsail was just so strong and it didn't stretch at all that i could not i thought it was going to snap the boom in half a few times i went up to the mast and i looked down as the sails slapped and that boom just bend with it and i'm like oh no no no, no. pull it down quick well i'm gonna put on my salesman hat for a second when you're ready yeah we should talk about norlam i think that's Ooh, a, yeah. hey yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know a sure. little lighter a little easier to deal with um yeah i honestly i that that's one of the big things i'm trying to figure out now um this last trip uh was the last the last call to arms for that set of sails and the only other like main and stasel i have are ancient absolutely ancient and they're like they're like kleenex they're just dead so i've got to figure out some new sails eventually for that trying to go forward um but yeah maybe we'll maybe we'll have a have to, yeah, I'd have love another, to have that yeah. North Sales logo. No, on there, I know. Yeah. I have another conversation on another day. Yeah, 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 definitely. But, but how much, how much time? Because I, I know we're way over an hour. Yeah, already. I'm going to tell you right now. I actually have to be on a boat in a half hour for a sail trial. <laughs> so, All right. Well, well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I gotta go. <laughs> if you, uh, if there's anything you want to like throw out, um, or uh, I think you got it all, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, I, I can't, I can't thank you enough. Um, if if in the like details of the show and stuff, I can put like a link to North Sales or whatever you want. I don't know if they want it to be official or anything like that, but uh, I think it was, I was pretty on task. I think uh, you know Eric Wakefield at North Sales. Google me. I'm right there. There we go. Awesome, man. Well, Eric, I can't I can't thank you enough. And if I'm ever here again, dude, we'll have to sit down again, man. I feel like we could probably sit here for quite a long time. Yeah. After and after five o'clock with some cocktails or something. Bingo. <laughs> there we go. All right, Eric. Well, thanks for coming on the show.